my family grew up uh, taking car trips as holidays. We didn't grow up with a lot of money. We never flew anywhere. And so any time that we went on holiday, it was in a car and we drove somewhere. And those car trips were, were sort of famous in our family. They became a thing. And, and I don't know, like if you've ever done this, any time we got in a car, there were always certain things that were always part of car trips. Um, there was always a bag of minties on a car trip. I said, my family never ate minties any time except on a long car trip and a bag of minties would appear and we ate minties on a car trip. Um, there was my dad's uh, Seekers tape um, <laughs> as an old, uh, yeah, tapes with, that was a thing, right? Cassette tapes in a car. I don't know, there's a, the young people look at me like I'm speaking. It's a thing, all right? I'll explain it later. And he, and he had this one tape. Again, I, I never heard... Hey, who are the seekers? You can look that up later. Right, YouTube. Anyway, anyway, anyway. All right, back on track, people, people. And there was, there was this tape, right? I never heard this music any other time of the year, but this tape, or I don't even know where this tape lived, except on car trips that always appeared, and we played it. And then there were the fights in the back seat. Right, my family was my mum and dad in the front seat, dad drove, uh, and my brother and I in the back seat. And uh, there were always pillows and games and whatever, but um, we played this game. We played this game where you had to see how hard you could punch the person, how hard you could punch the other person and not get caught, right? How hard you could punch the other person without without your parents seeing you or hearing you. You had to punch them hard enough that it hurt, but not so hard enough that they screamed and the gig was up. This was, maybe this was just my childhood, right? This is the way we grew up. And I can tell you, I can tell you, more than once in my childhood, more than once, the car was pulled over in the middle of nowhere on the side of the road, and then you knew that you'd gone too far, right? Then you knew that you were in real trouble. When Dad pulled the car over, when he stopped just turning over and saying, oh, stop that, when he pulled the car over, you were in real trouble. Here's the point. Here's the point of my story. No matter how great the destination was, right? No, no, no matter how great the place that we're actually going on holiday was, no matter how beautiful the journey was, we could ruin a holiday by how we behaved in the car on the way there. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? Because the holiday was only partly about the destination. The holiday was only partly about the journey. The holiday, and this is true for all holidays, isn't it? A holiday is only partly about the destination. It's only partly about the journey. A big part of the holiday is the people that you go with. And a big part of the holiday is what you do together, what you, what you say together, how you are together. A big part of our holiday wasn't just where we were going or how we were getting there, but it was the people, it was the family and how the family got on together. That's what made the holiday. And I want to suggest to you this morning that lots of life, lots of life is actually like my family's car trips growing up. Success is partly about the destination. Success is partly about uh, the, the journey that you take, the path you take to get there. But it's hugely about the people that you take the journey with. 
It's hugely about the people that you're on the journey, that you go to the destination with, uh, about who those people are and about what they do and about what they say, about what you as a group do and say along the way. It's true in families. It's true in the workplace. It's true in businesses. It's true in schools. And it's definitely true in churches. We're in a series that we're calling On Purpose, where we're looking at where we are going as a church, where Tide Church is headed. We began talking about our destination as a church. We summarised that by saying that we want to be people who are devoted to Jesus, living our lives following Jesus' example and teaching wherever we are, no matter the cost. We talked about how we're going to get there. We talked about what uh, the journey or the route or the path looks like talked about this last week and we said that there are, there are three key things that you're going to see along the way, uh, along the journey to our destination. We will provide an opportunity for people to experience Jesus through worship, communion and community. Number two, we'll focus on clear, practical Bible teaching. And number three, we will empower people to serve our community and the world. And we're going to now spend the rest of this series talking about the kind of people that we want to be along the way. Because church isn't just a collection, uh, because church is just a collection of people, right? And we've said this, I'm sure you've heard this before, that the church isn't a building. You don't go to a a church. The church isn't an organisation. A church is a community of people. You don't go to church. You don't belong to a church, you are a church. Tide Church isn't a building, it's not a logo, it's not a statement somewhere. You are Tide Church. We are Tide Church. This this group of people is Tide Church. And so in one sense, it actually, it, it doesn't matter what destination we hang on the wall. It doesn't matter how cool the plans are that we have to get there. This church, and any church, is defined by its people. Who we are, how we live, what we do, and what we say along the way. And so the rest of this series is going to be asking and answering the question, what kind of people do we want to be? What kind of people does Tide Church, as individuals and as a community, what kind of people do we want to be? And fortunately, as with most things in this series, fortunately, we don't have to look very far for an answer to that question because Jesus spent heaps of time talking about that question. For the rest of this series, we're going to work through a number of the key things that Jesus said about who his followers are to be, about who we are to be in the church. But we're going to start sort of in the obvious place Um, because you don't need to read. As soon as you start reading the words and the life of Jesus, you don't have to read very far to know what was most important to Jesus, what what was most important to him for his followers. And if this is going to sound a little bit like deja vu, we've talked about this before. We, we talked about part of this only a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to talk about it again because it's so important. Matthew remembers, uh, Matthew, one of Jesus' followers, remembers the day that a young uh, guy, a smart young guy, a lawyer, comes to him and asks him a question. 
This is, uh, you can read this in Matthew 22, starting at verse 35. An expert in the law tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the most important? All the rules, all the things that we should do, what's the most important? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. The second part of this commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, right? In other words, everything that we know about God hangs on these two commandments. When someone asked Jesus, what's the most important thing in life? He responded with one big word, love. Love God with everything you have and love people, all people, with that same energy and passion. And I think it's true to say that if we want to be a people who are focused on Jesus, then we have to be a people who are focused on love because Jesus was a person who was focused on love. And this isn't my idea, this isn't, this isn't me sitting down saying what kind of people should we be. Jesus himself was unbelievably clear again and again and again with his followers that this is the kind of people that his church should be. Jesus said, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this Everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is how people will know you're part of the church. This is how people will know you're a follower of Jesus if you love one another. Uh, You find that in uh, John chapter 13. Um, A couple of verses later, a couple of chapters later in John 15, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you, John 15, 12. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, you have to love each other. He says, I'm going to show you how to do that. I'm going to show you how to love, and then it's your job to follow my example. I'm going to model for you the way that you should love others, and then you need to follow my example. Love each other as I have loved you. Years later, Paul would write a letter to uh, the church in Philippi and he would explain it this way. He would say, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing because of what you want to do. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. In your relationships with with others, listen to this, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says, value others above yourself. 
Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Look to other people, love other people more than you love, and you look to your own interests. And then he says, have the same mindset. It means like, have the same attitude that Jesus had. And he says, Jesus was God in heaven. That's what it says, Jesus, who being in very nature God. Jesus was all the fullness of God, had all the authority of God, but he didn't leverage that authority. What Paul's saying is he came to earth and he gave up his position as God. He gave up all that authority to come to earth as a person, right? He gave up being a God in order to come to earth as a person and to come to earth like as a poor person. He could have come to earth and said, I'm God, you all have to do what I say, you know, bow down to me and worship me and serve me. But he gave that aside. He didn't leverage that authority. He gave all that up, came to earth as a person. Paul says he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't play that card, didn't play the God card. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Is there anything more that a God can give up than to become like a person, right? And being found in appearance as a man. But Jesus didn't just stop there. Paul says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Right? Uh, Jesus, who knew no death, Jesus, uh, like he's God, he's eternal, but he becomes obedient to death. He says, Look, I'm willing, I don't have to, right? I'm never going to die, but I'm going to be willing to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's the drop the mic moment. Jesus was willing to be tortured and executed for the sake of other people. Jesus' execution, Jesus hanging on a cross, is a demonstration of how much he loves people. Jesus on the cross is Jesus saying, this is how much I love people. You. Jesus hanging on a cross is him saying, This is how much I love you, and this is how much I love you. Jesus dies on a cross and he says, Here's my example. Here's my example of what it looks like to love others. Here's what my example of what ultimate love looks like. This is how much I love you. And this is how much you ought to love others. The cross has become the standard or the expectation or the benchmark of what love's love looks like for a follower of Jesus. In another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he described it this way. When he said, follow God's example, you're hearing a theme here, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Love others by following Jesus' example the way that he gave himself up as a sacrifice to God. We're called to love others. And the cross is your example 
for how you are to do that. Because you see, when you follow Jesus, love isn't just a feeling. It's not something warm and fuzzy on the inside that makes you smile. Love isn't just an idea. You know, it's not just the way you think about someone else. Oh, I love them so much. Love is an action. When you follow Jesus, love is something you do. But not an action the way most of us think about love. Because when most of us think about love and we think about, you know, what are the actions of love, we think about romantic dinners. You know, dancing in the moonlight, long walks on the beach. I know what you think about. Watching sunsets together, you know. Buying, buying a special gift for someone. Look how much I love you. I bought you this. Doing special things together. I've planned a day out. Creating great memories together. Holding hands and cuddling and other stuff that comes after that, you know. But I want to tell you, the love that Jesus modelled, the love that Paul's talking about, is a messy, ugly, dirty kind of love. It's a roll up your sleeves and get dirty kind of love. It's the kind of love that skips lunch so that someone that you've never met can eat a meal. It's the kind of love that will take the blame for something at work so that someone else doesn't have to and is free. It's the kind of love that says, I'm not going to buy that dress that I've waited so long to buy and I desperately want so that I can give to someone else in need. It's the kind of love that would give up your own life so that someone else could live. Because that's the way Jesus loved, right? That's the love that Jesus was talking about when he said, love each other as I have loved you. That's the love that Jesus calls his followers to. And when you, I mean, we had communion before, when you really understand what Jesus did for you, when you really understand what he gave up for you, when you understand the sacrifice that he's made and the love that he has for you, loving others becomes a natural response. It becomes like the only response, really. John was there at the crucifixion. John saw Jesus' sacrifice. He saw the nails in the hand. He saw the blood. He, saw, he looked into the eyes of Jesus on the cross. And years later, decades later, as an old man, he would write these words. 1 John 4.19 in your Bible. We love because he first loved us. We love because Jesus first loved us. For a follower of Jesus, love isn't a rule. This isn't something you have to do. You know, it's not something in the rule book that, oh, I've got to do this. And love isn't a challenge. 
You know, it's not like a marathon. It's not like God saying, here's something really hard. See if you can have a crack at this. Love is a response. We love because he first loved us. We give because he first gave to us. That's why we give. That's why we put others ahead of ourselves. We put others ahead of ourselves because he put us before himself. That's why we serve as a church. We serve because he first served us. That's why we sacrifice. That's why the history of the Christian church is a history of communities of people sacrificing themselves for others. We sacrifice because he first sacrificed himself for us. We love because he first loved us. Our love for others is a response to the love that we have received from Jesus. And that's the kind of love that we want to live out as a church. That's the kind of love that we want to be sort of characteristic or typical of people who are part of the community here at Tide. Because that's the kind of love that touches people. That's the kind of love that impacts communities. Ultimately, that's the kind of love that changes the world, seriously changes the world. Because I love our musicians, but honestly, no one cares about how, how cool the music is if we're not loving others. No, one, no one's interested in the things that I've got to say if we're not loving others as a community. No one cares about a mission statement that we write and hang on a wall. If we're not loving others, it's all just like blah, 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 blah. That's what Paul meant when he wrote these words to the church in Corinth. Listen to this. You might have heard this, but you might have heard this in a very different context than today. When Paul wrote these words, he wrote, If I speak in the tongues of men or in angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains... But I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I give my body over to hardships that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. That's the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. Those verses get read at heaps of weddings. You ever heard of that? Heard that read at a wedding? But Paul wasn't writing to married couples when he wrote those words. He was writing to the church. He was writing to a community of people like this. And he's saying, you know, you can have all that stuff. You can be doing all the things. Your music can be rocking. I can be the funniest guy in the world. But none of that matters if we don't love people. It all counts for nothing if the church isn't loving. We have a clear destination here at Tide. We want to be people who are devoted to Jesus, living our lives, following Jesus' example and teaching, wherever we are, no matter the cost. We've said we have a clear path on how we want to get there. 
will provide opportunity for people to experience Jesus through worship, communion and community. We'll focus on clear, practical Bible teaching and we'll empower people to serve our community and the world. But I want to tell you, none of that means anything if we aren't people who are loving each other and our world the way that Jesus loved us. So as we think about the kind of church that we want to be along this journey, love is definitely the top of the list. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a kind of church that loves other people the way that Jesus loves us, that loves people inside the church, one another here, the people that you're sitting next to and in front of them, behind, that loves people inside here the way that Jesus loves us, but also that loves people out there, people who are nothing like you, people who don't even like you, to love them the way that Jesus loves us. That's when the church gets powerful. That's when fantastic things happen, when we start to love people the way that Jesus loved us. That's how you and I live our best life. That's how the church will make a difference in our local community. And ultimately, that's how Jesus plans to make the world a better place for everyone. We love because he first loved us.